Welcome to Authorized, a podcast where we repeatedly discuss the novelizations of any films fortunate enough to have one. Novelizations oscillate between inventing aspects of a narrative whole cloth, like inserting a future storyline not at all present in the film, and otherwise pretty stringently holding to the movie's narrative. While they have the ability to impregnate any character with pathos and interiority, novelizations instead dedicate all character and development to a horny trucker named Dana. (laughs) What's Dana's home life like? Is his marriage romantically and sexually fulfilling? What's his dynamic like with his in-laws? Thanks to novelizations, we know these answers with absolute clarity. We are your hosts, a loose coalition of novelization enthusiasts. My name is Andrew Overby. I'm Hannah Blackman. And I'm Andrew Marco. Terminator 2, colon, Judgment Day, bump bum, is a 1991 American science fiction action film produced and directed by our good old buddy Jim Cameron. It stars Edward Furlong as John Connor, who, after being conceived in the first Terminator film, is attacked in childhood by a second, far more advanced killing machine, the T-1000. Coming to John's aid is a familiar face, the T-800, Arnold Schwarzenegger, both reprising his role and playing a completely new character. This time, John's future self has reprogrammed the T-800 to be his protector, turning foe into guardian angel slash dad. With death on their heels, John and the Terminator must free his incarcerated survivalist mother, Sarah, and find a way to prevent the very future that set all this into motion. The novelization of Terminator 2 colon Judgment Day bump bump was written by Randall Frakes and based on the screenplay by James Cameron and William Wisher. It was published by Bantam Books in 1991. Who is Randall Frakes? Randall Frakes is a film and science fiction writer. After graduating high school, Frakes joined the Army, during which time he worked as editor of the 16th Signal Battalion newspaper while stationed in Europe, winning the Stars and Stripes Journalism Award for an investigative report on conditions at Mannheim Stockade, a corrections facility in Mannheim, Germany. Frakes says of this investigative work, When I went undercover at Mannheim Stockade to investigate gross prisoner abuse, some prisoners thought I was a stooge for the warden trying to get prisoners to go on record with their complaints so he could punish them later. One big prisoner broke off a plastic fork so the handle was sharp and held it against my throat, saying that if I didn't convince him I was on the level, he would cut my corroded artery, and within a minute I would be dead on the floor in a pool of my own warm blood. I couldn't think of a thing to say. Fortunately, another prisoner from my company recognized me and stayed his hand. Ultimately, I found the evidence of abuse I was looking for and published it in my little rag, which created a shitstorm of controversy, got the warden demoted and removed, and caused my superior officer to want to kick me out of the army with a dishonorable discharge. I told him I would love a trial in which I could officially air my claims of corruptions and maltreatment of soldiers. He promised to screw me over terribly. A few months later, he summoned me to his office and tossed a thick envelope at me. He told me to open it outside. I thought, okay, at last, my summons to my court-martial. But no, the package contained a framed journalism award, the Stars and Stripes. The attention that came with this award ultimately made it impossible for Frake's superior to take any punitive action against him at all. Frake said of the experience, So one of the lessons I learned from that 
is that we need investigative reporters and other truth diggers to out injustice and corruption. But you could get killed doing that. So I thought, what would be a safer way to tell truths? Fiction. And so he set out to write socially conscious, didactic screenplays that he felt would make a difference. After the army and college, Frakes worked as a cameraman for Roger Corman in Venice, California, creating photographic effects for Escape from New York, Battle Beyond the Stars, and Galaxy of Terror. One day, Frakes' girlfriend was attending a college psychology course when a fellow student began hitting on her. In the process of rebuffing the advance, she saw an incredible similarity between this man's sensibilities and that of her boyfriend. Ultimately, she brought James Cameron home to Frakes, and they became fast friends as well as roommates and collaborators. Frakes even credits himself as giving Cameron the idea to become a film director. Cameron would go on to write the script to The Terminator while living with Frakes, and would later ask Frakes to write the novelizations of both Terminator and Terminator 2. Independent of Cameron, Frakes would go on to write the film Hell Comes to Frogtown. If you guys have not seen this film, it is a post-apocalyptic thriller in which the wrestler Rowdy Roddy Piper is one of the only human men who can repopulate an earth in which frogs have mutated into frog people. And so literally every female character wants to go to bed with him at all times. Uh, there are scenes in that movie that are like, you know, a female cop is coming to arrest Roddy Piper and halfway through the arrest she's like oh are you one of the fertiles it like very much has like uh, um, porno mood to the whole thing <laughs> to give you a taste of Frake's sensibilities he says of the first draft of Hell Comes to Frogtown it was a lot raunchier in the beginning when we first see Sam in his cell he's masturbating just to show his absolute disdain for authority, his belief in living life to the fullest, no matter where you are, and also to introduce Sam as, quote, a loaded pistol, always ready to fire. Ew. Freaks laments that ultimate... What's that, Hannah? I just said boo. Yeah. <laughs> Was this movie renamed American Beauty? Uh, no, but I highly recommend that you all watch Hell Comes to Frogtown. It's like a truly... Have you watched Hell Comes to Frogtown? I have watched Hell Comes to Frogtown, yes. Before preparing for this episode? Where is it available? It's on Prime or something. I, I watched it for a different podcast that I listened to, like uh, Porno Lads. Um <laughs> No, I think That's it was podcast. No, I think it was Action Boys was for some reason doing Hell Comes to Frogtown. Anyway, it's it's like a truly um, upsetting object. <laughs> uh, all right, Randall Frakes recently consulted on the upcoming Avatar sequels. His friendship with James Cameron going strong after decades. I uh, I really wish that we could get the two of them on for one of our uh, episodes about long distance friendships. And yet he didn't he didn't adapt Aliens. I wish that he had. <laughs> I really wish that he had. The aliens hate continues. I don't think I agree with you on that, but we'll get to it. I just want to clarify for Dan, our guest, not yet introduced. There's no hate for the film Aliens. That novelization is just not very good. Understood. Frakes is currently available for story consulting or script commentary or for a writing assignment. Quote, if you have deep pockets to pay standard script writing rates. He lives happily in Silmar, California. Wow. <laughs> wow is right. Our guest today, uh, from the hilarious Exit Interview podcast, where he plays God himself, 
Dan Quan Peoples. Dan, how are you doing today? Oh, Andrew, Andrew, Hannah, it's great to be on the pod. Uh, I feel very welcome. Uh, I won't take any alien slander, by the way, so uh, that's strike one. <laughs> even for the uh, book. Even for the book. Any any aliens paraphernalia <laughs> is a friend of me, so uh, back off is the first thing, and thank you is the second. Thank you for having me on. Oh, of course. Uh, Dan, would you like to drop the bomb to the listeners about your relationship with the Terminator franchise? Well, um, I have lived all my life without watching any Terminator film or reading any novel, by the way, which, you know, might go hand in hand. In my brain now, that goes hand in hand. You watch the film and you read the novel. <laughs> and it's not just reading any novel yeah, was, or just I was going to ask the same thing. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I've, I've, I've prepared myself for the Terminator 2 novel by reading other novels uh, in my life. So... Uh, but yeah, so, no, it, I, I had never watched any of the films, and um, until this week, I hadn't even thought about, or past few months when uh, I knew I was going to be on, I, I hadn't ever thought about watching Terminator. What was your impression of the franchise before uh, doing this this exercise with us, and sort of how did uh, watching the first film and reading the novelization of the second, <laughs> I believe, without watching the second, yes, that's correct. Uh, live up to that expectation? Uh, again, you make it sound weird. I feel like that's the proper way to do it now. Read the novelization. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, my impression was mainly from like, I'll be back. Like, I just knew that line, I'll be back. And uh, yeah, that's all I kind of knew. And I knew it was, I, I, I guess I had the impression it was like something like Aliens. Like it was, there was some kind of, you know, noirish like science something going on um i feel like i envisioned arnold schwarzenegger in like uh an iron man kind of get up or something i didn't expect him to be naked to start um, <laughs> and so, depending on what direct transfer of the movie you watched depending on what transfer of the movie you watched you really see that naked in the first one. Oh, i they must did not do a good I wish I watched the version you're talking about because I think I, I watched one where it's like like things were cut out or like positioned to hide. Uh huh. Oh no! If they if they color corrected this movie wrong, it is pornographic. Yeah, if you're watching like the ultra HD version of the Terminator now, when he like first drives and walks oh, towards God. those punks, you're seeing dick. Yeah, when I watched the extended cut, I expected that that meant like the length of the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah that that was kind of my impression of the I, pretty pretty bland generic idea of what it was so as far as you knew from your own description it was about a man who would be back so possibly a human man heading to like work or the store yeah like i'll i'll be back in a few hours i'm going to, <laughs> i'm going to new jersey to get cheaper gas take care of the kid for me that kind of thing to the group, having read the novelization of now of Terminator 2 by Randall Frakes, just general thoughts. How do we feel about this book? I really liked it. I think it's really good. I think it's well written. I think it's compelling. Like, I think it adds to the movie in fun ways without being, like, too difficult for a child reader. <laughs> like, I think it's kind of spot on. It's kind of like a good version of a novelization in my book. Mm-hmm. Andrew, how about you? Yeah, I'd agree. It's it's sort of what I love about some episodes of this podcast. I think about our Star Wars episode before this and things like that. 
where you're getting just enough juicy morsels of things that aren't in the book expanding on the universe even just expanding on situations where you're like oh i didn't necessarily see what happened to this character i know who's dead the novel gives you these little tidbits that just flesh out the universe in a really nice way so i i am already feeling positive about this like (laughs) hannah uh dan having watched the first film and then reading the second book what was the difference in sort of experiences there? Did the prose of the second book match the feeling of the movie? Well, the thing that I was most impressed by with the novel was that I had such a good feel for the characters, especially as you get deeper into the book. Um, you just have a good feel for the characters. And, and even if it's kind of a generic motivation uh, like Dana, um, you know, like <laughs> there is some kind of fleshing out of, the characters, which made them more memorable to me than in the film, which was a little bit different because I, if the film, um, if it was a really tight ensemble, I mean, there wasn't, there weren't a plethora of B characters who were running around and tying things in. But in this one, I mean, Dana felt like he had a little bit of life and, and Mike also had a little bit of life as well, which I don't know if that's reflected in Terminator 2. His role actually seemed pretty small to me considering the ending of. Remind me who Mike even is. Uh, do I have that name right? Mike uh, D- Dyson? Mike Miles, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, Miles, Miles Dyson. Miles. I was Miles assuming Dyson. that Mike, because we're talking so much about Dana, I was assuming that Mi- uh, Mike was like the cop that the T-1000 killed no, in no, the no. beginning or something. I'm sorry. No, I that misspoke. was Officer Austin. Officer Austin. Mike Austin. Get off my case. <laughs> Mike Austin, yeah. Okay, so I don't know for those of us who did watch the movie and read the book, but I watched the movie before I read the book. I will say I'll rewatch the movie. I saw this movie many times in my life. I don't remember. Is is there an analog to Dana in the movie? Dana's the trucker, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that character is like sitting in the bar, but he doesn't get any like attention or moment. Right. There's There's a guy at the end of the film who stumbles out of the truck full of whatever it is, liquid nitrogen, and is like... Hey, Officer Austin, are you doing okay? You just got in a crazy accident. And then he gets murdered immediately. But I'm not clear whether that guy was also at the beginning of the movie, like the book suggests. And he definitely doesn't come out of the truck being like, I'm considering infidelity. (laughs) You're giving Dana a hard time. But that's the kind of writing flourish that I think brings the book to life. Yeah, definitely. You know, and the fact that he shows up again at the end, he was yeah. destined to be murdered by a Terminator. Like, it just ties <laughs> the fake stuff together in a way that yeah. is good, Andrew. This guy was in a one-person, like, Final Destination movie. Where yeah. He got away from the Terminator <laughs> at the beginning and was just on a collision course to re-encounter it. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. think, I think we need to get into this right away because the book... The Terminator franchise, I mean, the sixth film is called Dark Fate or Dark F8. Dirk Fate. <laughs> Dark Fate. <laughs> but the Terminator franchise has always had fate at its center, but this book mm. takes it even further. It feels like fate is coming up every fifth word in this thing, like it's Run Lola Run or something. But it's also like, I'm going to be the person who's like gung-ho on this book forever. I agree that this book is like threaded with fate throughout, but there's a lot like, I don't think they're saying the word it's fate. We can't avoid our fate as often as they could be. There's like a very pleasant, like, it's like it was meant to be. I feel like I can't escape this sort of like flowing vibe, which is a little bit less hammer on the head for me that I was like, I love this nuance, the subtlety. (laughs) 
I didn't love this book. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that we ever agree over me, you know? I feel like we always differ. Well, before I jump into that, sorry, Dan, go ahead. I was saying, us three are going to start the Randall Frakes fucking fan club over here. (laughs) Yeah, man. (laughs) I will say I listened to him on a podcast like an hour before this, and that did make me go like, maybe I love him. But the, but the, he's just like a very soft-spoken man. He has this incredibly soothing voice. And Carries a frog around. He was just like he was just talking about everything I had already researched. What, oh yeah, and he's also like a, a, a fucking sicko freak who made that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, he uh, yeah, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper has like a chastity belt in that movie. I should have mentioned that too. It's crazy. Anyway, because it's like illegal for people to fuck him. So anyway, um, hey, I, I read the novel, so I'm ready to go. If you want to pivot, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I do want to clarify for the listener that Dan is not like a lazy piece of shit. I I did ask him not to watch the film, so just to get the book only uh, interpretation. But on the note of me not liking this book that much, first off, crazy, crazy amount of typos. Crazy, yeah. Yeah. insane, That's grammatical not fair to blame errors. on the book itself. I, I know, That's I know. It's fault. an editor issue. I get it, but like, I was kind of judging him eventually because there were typos in this book where I was like. You that's so bad you would catch it writing. Like it's so bad. They they were all over the place just like repeated words and like, you know, mm. it, it, you, did you not have that Hannah? You're making a face. Not like that. I mean, there was the usual amount not of like typos this. where like, like quotations this. don't start in the right place or whatever. or whatever. Do you have this this edition yeah, of man. the book? Oh my god, the typos are rampant. I uh, okay. Later, I guess I'm not a judgmental monster. I guess I'm really going to cut people some slack. Doesn't that contribute to the feeling that he, like, in the middle of the night and, like, living quarters <laughs> above the city in a, in, a, in, a, in a fit of passion, he wrote this book in one go and he didn't have time to edit it. He just needed to get it out to the fucking people, you know? This isn't Jack Kerouac. <laughs> R- Randall Frakes did not know James Cameron. He just went to see Terminator 2 and he was like, I have to write this down. <laughs> Um, but okay, so yes, I agree that the measure of a book is not necessarily how good its editing is, but it was taking me out a lot. It made me feel like I was reading an unprofessional yeah. little weird thing. And um, the other thing I'll say is just I wasn't floored by the prose. There's like specific examples. I, I, I should pull one up right now. Hold on. Compared to other books we've read, this prose is pretty good, though. But I mean, even to even to compare to Aliens, which is just like this happened, this happened, these people are here. This book has like an emotional backbone, you know, mm. and that's comes from the writing. Narratively, story wise, I think the book does some really interesting things. It's really just in like composition and writing that it kept jerking me around. So mm. here's here's a, the first line of a chapter entitled Revelation. Terminator, with John in front of him on the Harley, roared down an empty suburban street, having taken one of the circuitous routes Terminator had mapped out earlier. Okay, it is stupid that they refer to him as Terminator as if that's yeah, his that name. That was confusing. That was that's confusing. annoying. No, okay. I, I agree with that. It's weird that they call him Terminator like it's like they're saying, like, Sam. 
you know? Yeah, um, he's the Terminator. It's really, that did take me out every single time. And it's especially confusing at the beginning when they have yet to reveal which of them is the evil Terminator. And they keep yes. being like, the T-1000 did this, but Terminator did this. It's like, those are the same guy? <laughs> but uh, no, e even if, my point is that even if it wasn't the word Terminator, the way he basically is like, Andrew went to the store where Andrew found milk is like not good. Okay, but he's a robot, man. Like it's trying to make it clear that like his robot brain works in robot ways, Andrew. <laughs> like a lot of the stuff that I think you found clunky is writing meant to mirror robot shit. Which is clunky, I think, on purpose, though. Ew, get out of here. No. No, I mean it. <laughs> no, that's, I, I, I refuse. I refuse to believe that every error this author made was a calculated commentary on robotics. I think some of them are, though. I don't know. Bringing us back up, because it's too early in the episode for Hannah and I to have our fight, which does <laughs> inevitably always happen. Um... I did love some of just the narrative things he added in. So the like second chapter of the book. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Not in the movie at so, all. That that and not not yeah. in the extended cut of the movie. They just didn't have the money to film it, so they didn't do it. However, it is in Terminator Genesis. They saved it for Genesis, but they've re they've recast everyone, so it feels very strange. I've heard. I haven't watched. Yeah. Genesis. Well, it's about it's the worst of them, and also like they didn't. Like I like it's like Jason Clark as John Connor, who is like a gravelly adult man. Mm -hmm. But then it's Jai Courtney as Kyle Reese, who is not a Michael Bean type. Right, uh, not in the slightest. It's just like you're just like, what am I seeing here? It's it's bad all the way through. So uh, for the listener, the like second chapter in this book is detailing how in the future we basically see the moment of defeat of Skynet where John Connor is, like, fighting to get into some facility and they're, all these people are dying and they're killing all these Terminators and then suddenly all the Terminators shut down and all the evil planes fall out of the sky because Skynet has been destroyed. And they walk into the, the Skynet base and they're like, okay, you know, we defeated them, but we know that this is just the beginning of the battle because John Connor has obviously lived through his mother telling him about the first Terminator from Terminator 1. So he's like, they're going to send a Terminator back. I know I have to send my dad back. I got it. So he does that. And then I found this fascinating. I literally, I, I honestly thought this was like a genius bit of writing. And the fact that it came right at the beginning, I was like, this book's going to rip. <laughs> John Connor appears to not know about the T-1000 that goes back in time to hunt him as a child, suggesting this, like, type of time travel. Because, like, when you're writing a story about time travel, you have to commit to a mode of how time travel works. So there's, like, several different modes. You have, like, okay, every time you go back, you create a totally new reality. So there's no paradoxes because, like, nothing you do affects your own world or whatever. That's one that's, like, kind of common... In this one, it appears that every time you go back, you sort of revise the reality you're in. So John Connor, the one that we're following in the future, is not the original one. 
He is like John Connor version 2, who lives in the revised reality where the first Terminator went back. But he is not yet John Connor version 3. And so when he hears about the T-1000, he's like, sorry, what? And then has to make the decision to send a Terminator back to defend himself, an event he does not remember, which I found so interesting. Yeah, and that also suggests that they can make a million of these iterations where at certain points in John Connor's life, he has he, they have to keep sending back Terminators, right? I mean, theoretically, like... And they do, Dan. <laughs> they do. <laughs> if that chapter had gone on a couple pages longer, there would be several other Arnold Schwarzeneggers had to be sent back in Oh, time. shit, I forgot. Oh, there's other another one. TS-2000. I agree. I think that's a fascinating time travel concept that I really like. It makes no sense in the world of Terminator to me because John Connor is the product of a paradox. Like, he only exists because he sent Kyrie's back from the future. So, like, it really is set in stone. It is not. Like, that's how I read that. No, this this feels like Bill and Ted logic to me. The clock in San Dimas is always running. Hannah, if you follow this, like, Randall Frakes logic, I I disagree with you. Explain it to me. Because I'm having a hard time, I guess. I think that you could... This is fully based on this chapter in the book. I don't think the movie suggests this <laughs> okay, at all. Okay. But you could assume that since we're seeing John Connor engage in like a revisionist time travel thing, you could extrapolate from that that the first version of John Connor was Sarah Connor's son not born of Kyle Reese. Well, that's genetically not how it works, Andrew. <laughs> But it's it was literally a different person, just named okay. John Connor. He also because... did all of the leadership stuff? Mm-hmm. Because okay. I, I'm fully committed to this. Because... Okay, no, I'm sorry. I just have questions. So the first John Connor, I, I'm like kind of working through this in real time, but I can just okay. feel how right I am and it feels good. Um, <laughs> okay. So the first John Connor organically rises to power. He is a natural leader. He He's the son of... Sarah Connor and some other person who survived or whatever. Maybe Kyle Reese's uncle. Well, uh, basically, the Terminator is sent back to kill that John Connor. or the, uh, Sorry, the Terminator is sent back because of that John Connor to kill Sarah. And then in doing so, ends up impregnating her. And then Sarah raises a child who fulfills a self-fulfilling prophecy of becoming a leader because he's constantly told that he will be. Question, though. Because in the first movie, Kyle says, uh, John always told me that it, like... I feel like Kyle, like, understands that there's, like, this cycle, that it has to be him, which implies that John knows that it has to be him. Am I misremembering? Dan, you've watched it more recently than I have. Yeah, I I definitely got that vibe in the film too. Um, I'm just trying to fi- follow this logic of. I so, like the logic. I just yeah. I have I think there's holes in it. I like it. Thank you. I'm blushing. <laughs> I like the idea of the revisions of the time traveling. That's an interesting. Yeah, I mean, I definitely. That's idea. obviously like what Skynet is trying to do is revise the past to yeah. create a better future for itself. And then John and like John sends back Kyle and then the second Terminator to revise the revision. Right. 
But yes. I, I feel like, and I feel like T2 says like, you can do it. You can change the future. You can change the past. But then Terminator 3 through 6 says, no, you can't. It's set in stone, actually. Sorry, but it was always meant to be this way. So maybe that's stuff that like I'm carrying through. Because it just like, it just feels like no matter what, as they go through, they end up in the same, like all of it leads to the same place. We have to sort of play by Star Wars rules here, which is I, I don't think it's fair to actually invoke Terminators <laughs> 3 through 6 okay. as evidence because these two first two movies are James Cameron's babies. And it seems very evident to me, having rewatched them, that they function as one complete piece. That the first movie ends in this like doomsaying way where they're going oh, we've survived this, but I know doom is on the horizon and I'm driving into the storm. And then the second movie is just like, we did it, boys. <laughs> like, <laughs> we solved it all. And it's just like perfectly ties a bow. And I think that all of the movies that come after were obviously made in an attempt to just continue the franchise and so can't necessarily be thematically invoked. That's fair. And given the way the book ends, which was, I think James Cameron's original does design for the end of the story does feel very we tied a bow we did it boys everybody's happy which is nice there's literally a, a shoe tying part in that last <laughs> yeah, scene yeah you're right <laughs> it's literally like grandma tie my shoe alright oh my god let me put a bow on this oh my could god you, man, you're could so you right. imagine if the if in that last chapter they, they'd asked him or they'd asked Sarah to like tie a bow on like a book <laughs> can you just tie a ribbon on this book can you wrap up this story for me <laughs> you know I will say that that second chapter which I th which is up then I think um, yeah it's called up then um, what it I think what it did honestly for the book was it kind of neutered the idea the, the danger of the whole heisty thing of it like I, I'm not as worried about John Connor fulfilling this destiny or fate or prophecy when I know that I just saw a scene and what it did actually for me was it enhanced the importance of the entire like John Connor Terminator's human instincts and learning how to feel and it made that sort of the central crux of the book rather than what's going to happen is Skynet going to be defeated um, is John, John going to live out this prophecy in a way that's what it did for me like that second scene established like made the Terminator and John, that relationship way more important, like a father son thing. I texted this to our group chat, but I didn't understand how he recognized the Terminator in that chapter. Oh yeah. That was weird. Uh, cause if for the listener, he goes into this like warehouse of Terminators in the future and he sees yes. Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. hanging by a meat hook or whatever. And he's like, Oh, the Terminator from my past. But it's like, you were like a fetus, bro. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, that, that, that whole part was so confusing. <laughs> it, it, I agree. It is. Hold on. I'm trying to find the exact passage to get the language that's used because. Dan, were you suggesting uh, that. Sorry. Sorry, Hannah. If you're ready to go, go. Oh, no, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. No, you're right. Um, the broad, brutally handsome features sent a shock of recognition through John. It yeah. was he. So yeah, yeah, he does recognize it in a way that he shouldn't. Except that, like, I think all of the T eight hundreds look like Arnie. So if he's ever seen a T eight hundred, maybe like yeah. 
he knows what it looks like. And I, you know what? You're right. That's Hannah. probably right. That's probably because, right. Yeah. Because the, the second chapter also establishes that until like somewhat recently, Sarah Connor was alive and that she died mm-hmm. in the war. Yeah. So the they war. had enough time hanging out where she was like, hey, that's the big him. Austrian one, that's the yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah. There's also a part in this chapter where he talks about the no fate carving in the picnic table, which happens in the timeline where he's defended by the T-800. So again, I like your revisionist thing. I just, I have questions. I'm obviously just scrambling to cover my ass, but... It, it, I think there's an argument to be made in any time travel situation that, like, certain things would happen anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. Because she could be all about no fate just after one Terminator coming after her. True. That, that would really get she you. Was. Yeah. I also, that chapter establishes that Cal Reese was 19, which I don't believe. I don't think that's true. You think he's older? I hope yeah. he's older. <laughs> yeah. Like, she's 19, sure. But the moment this book was like, he's a 19-year-old soldier, I was like, no, he's 25 at least. That was and a little... fine. Yeah, that was tough to understand in the film, too. Like, the whole... I mean, I guess it's just love, you know? Like, they just fell in love within an hour, and and Face. she'll never forget him. Because in the book, she's like, I never will date ever again. And, like... <laughs> they spent two it's like days the Virgin together, Mary, and honestly. he was dirty and had tetanus, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I do eventually want to get off of the topic of... Um, the like the the way that the time travel works but i will say that the last chapter where she literally ties a bow on the on the story um i think does reinforce the idea of this revision thing because she goes on about how kyle reese is probably out there and uh but he's a, probably a totally different guy because of how events played out yeah and he's yeah, probably yeah. married to some woman and has a nice life um which to me is the book just saying like a hundred percent is the revisionist thing. Also, during Dark Fate, I was um, I was the only one in the theater. Okay, I don't talk in theaters, but I was uh, whispering to my friend uh, throughout the movie. I was like, she should go find like a teenage Reese and date him. <laughs> I mean, I would love if any of these movies later were like, here's Kyle Reese. He's a baby, but Sarah Connor is like, oh, oh shit. God. Like, I would like to see that interaction, but literally no one is Michael Bean and no one will ever be Michael Bean, and we simply have to let Kyle Reese go. Like, I think Anton Yelkin, who plays Kyle Reese in Terminator Salvation, is not, he's good. He's different. Mm-hmm. He is a little squiggle string bean, which is correct. Jai Courtney <laughs> is incorrect on every every level. But yeah, they just gotta let him go. I let him go. It is interesting given how often they uh, have digitally recreated Arnold Schwarzenegger. They have never just digitally recreated Michael Bean. Probably an easier task to find a <laughs> body type like his than Arnie's. Well, his face is more unique in some ways. It's not just like flat, chiseled planes. Now, <sighs> while I was Kyle. gone, we'll probably edit into this. Did we touch on the fact that Sarah is still alive? Yes, I was talking about how that's probably how John recognized which Terminator came after his mother. Because he, like, chooses the one that went after his mother to protect him at the beginning of the book. Right, but in in the future, we find out that, like, on the last day of, like, the on Skynet Destruction Day, Sarah Connor is still fighting battles. 
she gets killed gets day up. Yeah, yeah, day up. yeah. And that that whole scene plays a role in characterizing John, future John, as being cold and callous to the emotions of the world, and what, that makes it ironic towards the end when he's teaching the Terminator how to feel as a kid. Um, that's uh, that to me is the only reason that scene that part is there, right, to show how callous John is. I love how much this book, and I think T two in general, is about like which of us is really the robot. Like, by the time Sarah goes to kill Miles Eisen, she's a Terminator. Yeah, she is. And, like, that play of concept, I think, is good stuff. Really cool, yeah. I mean, this this movie plays into one of my favorite sub-genres of cinema, which is found families. Because it really yeah. is about this just, like, you know, the Terminator is better than any father figure he could have had. Like, it'll never beat him. Yeah. It'll never leave yep. him. You're like... Oh, like I want a Terminator. Yeah. Or as this book just says, Terminator. <laughs> around a hundred pages in it, drops the the as if it's Prince reinventing himself, and he's just Terminator for the rest of the novel. I was just gonna say very quickly. I do think when the book takes the like voiceover monologues written by James Cameron and inserts them as pieces of the book, you can tell. Those things like stand out as like, whoa, this is lofty language, huh? And it feels like kind of out of place. Like every single one of those, I was like, oh, this is like writing. And then I rewatched the movie and was like, oh, because it's in the movie. <laughs> anyway, over be it's your turn. Uh, yeah, what were we talking about? Found families. Oh, I was gonna say, I'm not. I don't want to sound like I'm some sort of men's rights activist or something. <laughs> but it did occur to me in that sequence where she was like, "He, the the Terminator would never leave him, would never hit him." Blah blah blah. I was like, this sequence really only works because it's a woman talking about a man. Because if it was a guy like looking at a female Terminator, being like, she doesn't have any baggage. She doesn't, like <laughs> it's just like, which is what she's saying. She's saying like. He's not a human with human flaws. And it just is it. I guess what I'm trying to say, taking it away from like a gender issue is like it. It is this kind of like very cold, weirdly yeah. inhuman thing to think. And for some reason, the way Linda Hamilton delivers it and the way it's written in the book, you're like, wow. Yeah, yeah. But she's really saying like, I can't deal with people. No, well, I, I got the sense that it was more like, I, I think that is a correct reading of it, but I also got the sense that it was, you can you can paint the human you want, which may not be a good thing, but you can paint the person you want to be a father of this kid. You can imprint, you know, whatever emotional understanding you want this person to have on the Terminator or Terminator, and um, <laughs> he'll inhabit those those traits or qualities. Like, like, you can sort of mold him into being the perfect father which is kind of what John does. I think your reading is probably right, but that was another way I thought of it was like, maybe she's saying that she wanted someone that she could kind of gear up to be the perfect dad to John. And you know she recognizes I mean? that he needs, or she thinks he needs some kind of like masculine influence. Exactly. Someone to, yeah, teach him those sorts of things. And the Terminator has like good advice. It's nice. I'm with her. Yeah. I agree. I mean, like I too was like, yeah, he's a good dad. He would be a good dad. Yeah, I don't know. It just made me feel like she couldn't... Like, it made me feel like when people are like, oh, I just like dogs so much better than people. I mean, there is something to Sarah Connor that is 
like hateful towards men. Like she has that speech towards the end to Dyson where she's like, only men do this stuff. Women never create evil machinery. Only men do that, which is, you know, yeah. like not true. Uh, but there is something right. to her that she's like, I can only count on myself, a woman. And every man I've ever met has tried to kill me or fuck me or hurt my son or ruin my life or destroy the planet. Like she's got damaged perspectives. You know what? You're right. You're right. It's it's extremely yeah, in keeping with her character and her experiences, and it's well observed by the writer. Now, I have been ragging on Randall, or as they called him on the podcast I listened to, Randy. A classic nickname for Randall. Yeah, but if, like, we got Randall Frakes on the podcast, I wouldn't call him Randy. <laughs> I mean, fair. Okay. You'd call him by his Cyberdyne model number, right? <laughs> I did call Deborah Chill Debbie when she wasn't on the podcast, and, you know, that did she get me in some it. hot water. Yes, <laughs> but if she had been here, I wouldn't have done that. Um, Dan, I'm, I'm slowly uh, accumulating authors I sort of have uh, pissed off in some way. So, um, Meanwhile, we've had at least one author on the podcast, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a mixed bag. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I just wanted to read, since I've been, since I've been bagging on Randall a little bit, uh, a little bit of prose that was not from the movie that he invented that I thought was nice. So on page 100, Good job, uh, I believe... Randall. Yeah, Randall's got some tricks. Um, on page 100, I believe this is when he, the uh, chase is happening where John is, you know, in whatever it is, the aqueduct with both Terminators and the trucks chasing him and all that stuff. Uh, the truck hits that... Um, underpass and randall says concrete and steel kissed and in their passionate embrace came an earth-shattering orgasm of rent matter and i was he like he loves to use the word orgasm as just like a normal word and he's crazy for that one i was kind of sending him up by just casually using the word impregnate in the intro i was like this feels very randall um, yeah but um yeah, there's a lot I like in that. The the fact that he just casually uses orgasm. The fact that he says rent matter. Rent? What the fuck is rent matter? Rent To rent something is like to rip it in two. It's just not that commonly used of a word. Yeah, um, Yeah, I just love the audacity to kind of give two huge stylistic flourishes in a single <laughs> sentence. <laughs> I'm not being sarcastic. I legitimately thought it was cool. That's now I'd love to read his adaptation of The Terminator and see how he describes the actual sex scene in The Terminator. Because yeah. there's nothing really sexy about Terminator 2. No one is... I mean, the closest we get to, like, people who love each other and would probably, like, have sex is Miles Dyson and his wife. And the dream sequence. And the dreams, I was saying. And the dream Which sequence. is sexy and sad. Which we should probably touch on this with you, Dan, that... There's a lot of sequences in this book that are deleted scenes from Terminator 2. Yeah. Which I only, for some reason, own a DVD that can play that version. So I had to watch the Calorie Stream sequence. Had to, as if it's a burden. That's not in the film, the, the dream sequences? No. The, the, well, it's interesting because the director's cut of this movie, if that's what we're calling it, is about two and a half hours. Probably has about ten minutes of additional footage. It has like but 20 still minutes. feels incredibly lean. Like the original movie is super lean, but the director's cut is not sluggish in any way. Yeah. Uh, but it does feature a lot it's of these richer, sequences that though. are ripped from the pages of the novelization. Hannah, didn't 
I was going to say, didn't you have a theory about the purpose of the cuts made to the movie? Well, at least some of, like, the Kyle Reese dream sequence was apparently cut. I have read because James Cameron said, like, I think people should be able to come into this movie with no knowledge of the first movie and still be able to understand it. And so to have one scene with a guy you've never met before and will never see again, he was like, we don't need that in the movie. And cut it out. Hmm. Especially because you do get enough references to his father throughout the movie. I mean, I think one of the great things the movie does which is present in the novelization is when the doctor Silberman mm-hmm. is his yeah. name yeah, is yeah. walking around with his, you know, interns. He basically just sums up the first movie. <laughs> and so you're like, Oh, that's all I needed was some guy to tell other people. Yeah. This crazy shit happened 10 years ago. Here's the plot of the first movie. All right. We never have to address that ever again. We can just move forward from here. How evil is Silberman? That, that doctor he... is horrible. Not only what he does and like how he treats her, I understand that he wasn't in the police station when the Terminator shot everything up in the first movie because they pass each other in the doorway. But the idea that he's aware that Sarah survived a massacre at like a fully manned police station and he's like taking care of her now being like, (laughs) she's a bit of a loon is so (laughs) evil. I mean... Yes, I think he's a bad person who treats her poorly. Um, but she's cuckoo. Like, even though she is right, she is a cuckoo bird. Like, yeah. she is not well. To think that she thinks she's going to pass her review after she <laughs> just recently stabbed him in the knee, which I believe in the movies with a pen. Yeah. And the novel is a screwdriver. Don't know how she got her hands on one of those. Yeah, I was also confused about how she got... Like, they never explained why she... I think she blew up, like, computer stores or something. That's why she was sent there. Like, was she trying to blow up Cyberdyne, or but, was she just blowing up a Exactly. Store? That was never mentioned, I, from, to my knowledge, in the first film or in the book about why she was there. I was curious, like, what, who, where did she get that idea? At some point, John says, like, oh, my mom's crazy. She tried to yeah. blow up some stuff. I assumed she tried to go after Cyberdyne and got caught. <laughs> pretty fast that must be it i don't have this bookmarked but um in the movie it's not specified and in the book john does suggest or he does imply that she went to like something linked to cyberdyne or skynet um but in the movie it's vaguely computers in the movie it sounds like she she like bombed a radio shack (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, that was kind of my maybe I maybe I read too quickly over that. I, I didn't really at first. I didn't get the the connective tissue between Cyberdyne and or Skynet and the thing that she bombed. Um, so I was kind of like, how did, I wish I knew how she got there. Like there was a little bit more information on that. Uh, I love to imagine though that she was just walking down the street and she saw like an <laughs> ad for computers and she just like bought a gun and went in. You know. <laughs> I also think if someone came up to me and was like, "You're dead. You're going to be dead. Your life doesn't matter because you're about to die." In an apocalyptic nightmare that's six years from now, I'd be like, okay, crazy. Like nothing about that. Can I, you can't wrap your head around that and believe that that's true. That's just not, I mean, she should be in, in a psych ward. I hate to say it. Like she is right <laughs> about a lot of things, but she's in the right place. Like this, the system works the way it's supposed to. Yeah. And put yourself in, in the guy's shoes when you've been dating Sarah Connor for like eight months and then she breaks out the my son is the messiah stuff. Yeah. 
And right. also, she's been raising her son in these dangerous yeah. conditions with no formal education. Like, he, it's good that he gets to go to school for like a minute in a normal place and have like a normal relationship. And he has a friend. Yeah. Tim. With a great Tim. mullet. Tim. I don't know if it's described in the pages of the book, but <laughs> his mullet is amazing. In the film, do they motorcycle or take uh, whatever the, the moped that, that, um, it's a motorcycle, and it's interesting because in the movie they are very specifically listening to Guns N' Roses. That's but the oh, book it says the Ramones. Yeah, it says the Ramones. Yeah, <laughs> and but the movie and the book at least had one thing in common: everybody's drinking Pepsi. <laughs> drinking Pepsi, riding Hondas. They're still they 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 take that thing through like the canal and stuff. Is that in the, yeah. the film as well? It's like L.A. based. You really yeah. ought to watch the film at some point, um, even though I forbade you from doing it, um, because <laughs> it is it is like the action in it is exquisite. the The sequence in the drainage, whatever, is like positively oh, yeah. thrilling. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah that's, I will yeah. say this book. Speaking of the action, I think the action is like pretty well described here. It's exciting; you get a sense of what's happening. It also this book made it so clear to me that this movie is like. Three set pieces, end of movie. Mm-hmm. It's like three giant action set pieces, and then the movie ends. Maybe four, but it's like you so feel that tight from it. one to the next. Yeah. yeah, and the chapter length too. The, the set pieces have massive, like twenty pages. At least towards the middle end of the book, the chapters get really long. But at the beginning, they're like two, three pages. You're flying by. Um, yeah, the book. The I, I will say, I found some of the like it's. It was hard. To, it was a little clunky. The action scenes, I thought, because it was hard. Maybe just for me to keep track of everything that was going on, especially when I didn't really have a good feel of like who Schwarzenegger's Terminator was, and then the 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 new model, and like figuring that. I, I felt like I had to figure out that it was like a metal alloy that could just like turn into a liquid, mm-hmm. then turn into a person. That was very hard to like wrap my head around in the book. Was there a point? in your reading when you were like, which of these Terminators is the evil one? Or did yeah. you kind of get the sense right away? Okay, cool. No, well, the, the, okay, well, there wasn't a specific point, but I do remember, I remember reading being like, I'm a little confused right now. Like there's two Terminators that are sent back, but one of them might've been Kyle. Maybe that's what I thought at first. I was super lost, but then I like closed the book to do something else. And I saw the cover, which is Arnold on the front. I was like, wait, who the, which Terminator is Arnold? They can't be this like liquid pool of metal alloy. That's turning into officer Austin. And I realized it must be the one that is the quote unquote good Terminator. Uh, well, it's interesting that you say this because in the movie, they, they give away the farm a little early where they tell you in the book, I'm uh, sorry, in the book, they tell you right away that officer Austin is a Terminator. Yeah. But the the movie, at least it does not reveal that he's a liquid metal Terminator. You don't see him morphing into the police uniform. You assume he just kills the guy and puts it on. Mm-hmm. And it's not until the sequence in the mall where he and Arnold, oh, you know, Arnold God. and him are in the same place at the same time that you finally realize who has which allegiances and that uh, Officer Austin is this liquid metal Terminator. Which I showed this movie to my girlfriend who had not seen the first movie. And it was interesting to see because she knew that Arnold Schwarzenegger was the Terminator and was the bad guy in the first one. But definitely had to figure out, and I think the movie and the book do a good job of this, of sort of being like, who is the good guy, who's the bad guy? They, they leave it vague enough for it to actually be a reveal, which is nice. Yeah, I think it's very smart in the way that like 
the movie always knows who's a good guy and who's a bad guy before they tell you. Like the Arnold's Terminator doesn't kill anybody and the Robert Patrick Terminator kills a bunch of people before they even meet. Like if you're paying attention, you can figure it out, but it is a surprise. And I really like that. It's like a fun, it's one of those like when you watch it again, (laughs) things. But that doesn't totally track because the Arnold Terminator would kill like indiscriminately to protect John. And and I think is yeah. is like applying lethal force in the bar at the beginning. Like when he throws a man into the kitchen onto the oven or whatever. On, like, oh, that was, that was incredible. He's not. Oh, you got to see the acting this but dude does it. when he oh hits that stove. He spends. They do a good job of summing it up in the book. He spends like a while on the stove being like ah, ah, before he manages to get off. It is gruesome. You, but you can't tell me that all these guys getting shot in the kneecaps <laughs> has the most kneecap squibs I have ever seen in a film. True. That all those guys make it out okay. Non-lethal force. I don't know. I'm just saying. Like, well, that is that much. is his that is his thing. Is he? He's like, I'll ruin your life. I just won't kill you. Right. Yeah. Right. John Cutter didn't say don't maim anybody. He said don't kill anybody. <laughs> um. It's so interesting. No, Andrew, that you've no, never no. seen this movie, Dan. Because from reading it, did you kind of get the assumption that it was like one of the most innovative special effects movies of all time when it came out? No, no, Because no. <laughs> that's it's the interesting thing is you hear you read about this liquid metal and on the page. It sounds dumb. It's so fluid. It seems so normal. It seems like, of course, and you're probably picturing it in a 2020 mindset of what you could do on screen. But true. Yeah, this is 1991. And it's like. It has aged remarkably well as an effect uh, because they use it so sparingly. And when he gets shot and stuff, a lot of the like splashes are practical, which is crazy. It's like a Jurassic Park where you're kind of like it's a great mul- melding of the practical and the impractical. Uh but I don't know where I was going with that. Andrew, we take over the first time that the T one thousand got shot. My girlfriend said, what is he wearing? Because he just has this huge metallic divot in his chest that looks like he has like put on like a little (laughs) a little orange cone or something like onto his chest. Um, I have no idea where else to fit this in the podcast, so I'm just going to read it now. The meanest passage in the book is when. I can't wait. John's foster mother is introduced. Oh, yes. Here we From go. That, that's in the film, right? The whole foster family thing? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. So Yeah, his foster mom from Aliens, his foster dad, Xander Berkeley from Candyman. Xander Berkeley from everything of the era. From 24. Yeah, really. We love him. I mean, we're, we're not talking about this until next episode, but I was when he showed up in Shanghai Noon, I was like, What? <laughs> How is this possible? <laughs> um, all right. Hell yeah. Okay, anyway. So, speaking of Janelle, the foster mother, a 33-year-old woman appeared in the doorway of the garage. Janelle Voigt used to be cute. She'd always had dates her senior year in high school, but she was never considered particularly smart. Unarmed with a savvy comprehension of the continual downpour of trivial day-to-day disappointments, her natural ebullience had been eroded with a harsh recognition that life wasn't going to get any better than it had always been, 
which had been mildly disappointing. She had no idea why this had to be, and it disturbed her. Janelle had become increasingly irritable over the years, until now her fuse was woefully short. In the process, her cuteness had melted away, leaving a firm, cruel set to her mouth and a dullness to her eyes that sometimes reminded John of a cow absently feeding on the side of a hill. One of her disappointments had been her inability to bear children. That was why she had signed up for the foster parent program. That's not the right reason, you know. (laughs) That was why she was now John's guardian. And that was why she was standing there with a graceless scowl and frazzled hair. John Connor had seemed at first a vulnerable, shy youth desperate for some basic affection. While that may have been true, he was also spirited, moody, independent to a fault, and mostly a brat. It's so brutal and it keeps coming it's like it's so evocative i get what he's going for with the cuteness thing and i i I don't mean that in like an objectifying like oh that woman is cute type way i mean that like frakes is like referring to cuteness as like a quality that people have that like cuteness is born of an optimism or an excitement about life and he's saying that that Yeah, totally. And he's saying that that has faded away, which I think is like great and perceptive storytelling. But then he just keeps being like, she was barren. She sucked (laughs) so bad. She's real tough to be around. Yeah. (laughs) She's one of our two women in this movie. Yes, yes, exactly. Hey, Um, three if you count Mrs. Dyson. True. Mrs. Dyson is great. Still only three. So true to me saying that I couldn't fit that in anywhere in the episode. We now have nowhere to go from there. (laughs) (laughs) I have something to ask. What did you think of, speaking of the Dyson family and Cyberdyne, which we touched on earlier, what did you think of the backstory of Cyberdyne systems? Because they establish, if if you've only seen the movie, they do establish that at the end of Terminator, when Sarah Connor crushes the Terminator in the metal press yeah. thing that that an arm definitely survives and we find out in this movie that a the CPU also survived. Now, they go into the backstory of who the people were that founded this company and I found it so interesting sort of the characterization we get on them. I don't know if anyone has this bookmarked because it's basically a two-guy operation. One guy is basically just a money Oh, you're guy. talking about Dyson's yes. boss? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah the guys... So it's like Dyson a solid had, like five like, pages on this guy who you has one line of dialogue with Mike Dyson and then leaves the story. But also his buddy who like died and in, in his cancer ridden ramblings was like trying to solve the equations to make the CPU a functioning technology. Yeah, I liked all that. Yeah, that was That's good. That's like rich I, development. That was a really good addition, and and let's not glaze over the fact that Dyson like committed a major crime in not Dyson, his partner, in like establishing this company, which is that the company that um or the warehouse that the Terminator from Terminator One was killed in is not you know Dyson's company. It like Dyson was like I keep saying Dyson, whatever his partner's name was, was like yeah, a contractor yeah, yeah. who was sent to work there for that day. And Simmons there were, and Kroll. 
there was there were police everywhere, right? And he's like, oh, something big happened. And he sneaks into the crime scene where there's like still cops, finds a robot arm, and it's just like, I'll be taking this. And so in Yeah, it's yeah. the plot of Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, good point. Yeah. With like none of the um none of the added layer of like this movie's about the recession. It's just like the, right. the Dyson's partner is just a piece of shit. <laughs> Exactly. But it's, I want to. I want to clarify. It's not his partner. It's his boss. The two guys who found the company are t- n- neither of them is Miles Dyson. Okay. They then Miles when Dyson the partner right when the partner mm-hmm. who is doing the science dies, then they bring in Miles because he's like a genius. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So he's like not not guilty of anything. Mm-hmm. I think is the reason he's not one of the guys who stole that thing and ruined our futures. He's like totally innocent. Interesting. And I, I I do apologize, running tally, I apologize to Peter David for the slander. I apologize to Miles Dyson for the slander. <laughs> I don't mean to be hard on you, Overbeat. I just want to get it right. Yeah. No, I respect it. I love Miles Dyson. I love Joe Morton's performance in the movie. I just think it's such an interesting idea to just like be the guy who unwillingly like ruins the world. And I think it's interesting sort of – we get more backstory on Dyson than we do on the Connors or a lot of the other characters. Like we learn about sort of his upbringing, how he – he was like a basketball scholarship. Yeah, he was. Didn't end up playing and – He was reluctant to study to math. College. Yeah. Yeah, was reluctant to study math but was a genius. So he went to – was it Cal State? Some Something smart like California that. school. Like it's interesting because it, it feels very – like a real trajectory for what someone would have for a career, uh, especially in sort of the 80s tech boom. And very, so I appreciated all we got to learn about him. It like builds so much sympathy for him too when you're like, yeah, he's worked really hard. He's like come from difficulties. He's just trying to like do his best for his family and for the world. Like he's a good person who has worked hard. You're like, yeah, yeah I kind of don't want him to have to die to save the future. I think that flip and, happened quick, though, in the book, where it went from, like, that scene where his, his wife is in his, I guess, his home office or his office or something, and she's like, come on, honey, play with the kids. And he's like, no, I got to work. And and and, and uh, Randall, Randy, describes, uh, like, how he's been working longer and longer days and uh, picking up an occasional Saturday, and he's not seeing his kids at all. And then all of a sudden, bang, he's convinced by Lynn Hamilton and John Connor that, you know, the world is going to end with his creation. He needs to stop, and he's he just throwing things and burning them and destroying them all of a sudden. I, I, that happened really quickly, I felt. I love that he just, like, totally is like, well, you've shown me a robot, man, so you're right. That's fucked up. Yeah, he's up. like, Let's oh, my it. God, like, that's all I needed. How did they know he he knew what the arm looked like? I don't think the that they're trying to show know. him the arm. No, they're just trying to prove that... Terminator a is a robot. From yes, because Marco, by your logic, if they showed him a different robot arm, he'd be like, well, that's not my arm, not my problem. <laughs> um, Dan, I just wanted to jump back and say that we we have received, uh, I just got an email, a cease and desist, and we can't call him Randy. So you're going <laughs> to have to apologize for that. Um, I'm sorry, Randall Frakes. Uh, Dan, I do have a question for you specifically, having, uh, having read the book without viewing the movie, which is that... Um, the 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 Sarah character just by design undergoes 
a massive change off totally, screen yeah. between these two chapters in our story, that being the first movie and the second movie. How did that go on the page? Did you just full hog buy it? Uh, it was a pretty aggressive shift. <laughs> it's <was> pretty aggressive. <laughs> she herself got very, very aggressive and sort of inherited that. I'm thinking back to that one monologue that uh, Kyle had in the interrogation room when, when they're playing. The doctors are they're the psychiatrist or whoever is playing back to Linda, uh, I guess his kind of deposition or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Kyle is losing it. And now in the book, it's the same thing, except with Linda sort of losing it, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, at her sort of parole hearing kind of thing. Um, and throughout those first scenes at the psych ward. Um, yeah, that was a little tough to buy. I think even harder, though, was later on, like the cruelty she showed John and justified it by being like, oh, well, you know, I'm helping him manifest his destiny. It didn't feel right to me that she would be that callous or like, I've used the word callous too many times, but there's callous people in this story. It is. Yeah. It is the defining trait of like John Connor, the elder and Sarah Connor, the elder, like they are just a little bit detached. And that was hard for me to buy. Like this woman went through so much in the first film and saw the future of humanity. And now is going to treat her son, the savior of humanity in that way is like kind of a little bit hard to, to comprehend. Yeah. She does take on sort of a custodial bent where she like discovers that her, that her son is going to be the savior of mankind. And instead of like at the end of the first movie, she's like, I'm going to raise him right. and be a loving mother that you kind of get that feeling. And then in this movie, it feels more like she's like, got to go in and polish John every day. <laughs> got to make yeah, sure he's no, ready to be the world leader. Like it's she's become so detached. You're absolutely right. I feel like the only thing I'd want is to be near John at all times. So why would you do anything that jeopardize that connection that you have? Because, you know, this person is the, I guess, Messiah of humanity Mm -hmm. so like why would you why would you do anything to not be next to that person especially if he's your son and you had you love his father so much and you're so in love with his father after an hour or two of knowing him uh a little hard to buy the the emotional connection between the two of them must have been insane because he the they was virgin sex it couldn't have been that good right yeah yeah canonically virgin virgin sex yes Oh virgin sex God. in the eighties must have been the worst time to have virgin sex. <laughs> I, I don't follow your logic that, at all. <laughs> that sounded good in my brain. <laughs> I feel like the transition for Sarah Connor's character is a little easier to buy when you have the visual of Linda Hamilton because she Interesting. Yes, you can describe a book a character any way you want to, but she is really just sort of like has this very like Southern California girl vibe in the first movie. Yes. And then in this second movie, she is like shredded beyond belief and like feels like a different person, feels like she's worlds away from where she was in the first movie. So just seeing her right away, you're like, okay, I, I can buy that something has changed uh, in the 10 years in the story since we've last seen her character. And I think the book does a pretty good job of it, but it's something that the visual medium does sort of make an easier swallow. Right, she looks. She like legitimately looks like she could be like Sarah's older sister or something. Like she kind of, or her identical twin. Yeah, she kind of looks like similar, but like like she could be a completely different person. It's still Linda Hamilton, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, that was a joke, Andrew, because her identical twin does appear in the movie. Um, I'm offended that you think I didn't get the joke. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I read IMDb trivia too, okay? Uh, Edward Furlong <laughs> hit puberty during the movie, and they had to pitch his voice up to account for it. Okay, I read all the stuff. So, because effects were not there at the time, Dan, anytime there are two identical people when the T-1000 is pretending to be someone on screen... They only cast people who are twins. Are you serious? Luckily, their lead actress already had an identical twin, so they could have two oh Sarah Connors my God. in a shot. Yeah, like the and, guard uh, in the hospital that he duplicates. Those are yeah. just twins. Oh, yes. And it feels like that, that, <laughs> what that sort of solution? shot is like, that's a mirror shot. You just film that two times and you put them together. And Jim Cameron said, no, no, only twins. <laughs> yeah. What a goofball that guy is he's a major goofball here's a question i had because i did a little reading on uh tech noir ah yes so i didn't know this i guess it's a genre that of that james cameron or early james cameron was specifically associated with and named tech noir and i don't know i don't know how you what do you guys feel about that label for that especially for the first film i feel like it's pretty fairly accurate um like the the noir element is interesting, I guess. It, it little throws me off a little bit. I don't think that noirs usually involve like giant action set pieces and like mass totally. shootings and stuff. Like the, yeah, it's, very it, it not lacks subtle. the subtlety of like of like a PI story. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not yeah, willing yeah. to say that Terminator Two is a noir, but I am willing to say that the Terminator is a noir movie. Like yeah. for sure, it's much smaller scale. It's much more about like chasing one person through the shadows in a dark oh, world. It's yeah. a horror movie. It's a slasher. And the, yeah. pr- the premise is straight up noir, the idea that everyone with the same name is being killed. But what it does with it, I disagree that that really takes the shape of a noir at all. I don't know. Noirs have shootouts in them. They truly and there's, do. Yeah, there's kind of a detective vibe a little bit. And there's know? like... Your, your, you know, your sexy person who comes into your life and is like, I need you. You have to come with me. You have to help me. Like, I have that's answers. all noir hard that actually, stuff. That actually does convince me, and I am famously a person willing to be changed. <laughs> so um, I wanted to bring up, because you were talking about the guard at the um, mental institution, and I wanted to talk yeah. about how in the first film, uh, or maybe it's the second. I watched them too close together. It's probably the second. Where he's like, uh, oh, so if uh, John's like, if the Terminator can turn into anything, then uh, why doesn't he turn into a pack of cigarettes? And, um, uh, you know, Schwarzenegger's like, it has to be something of equal size. And I was like, well, that doesn't totally make sense because all these people are different sizes. Luckily, Randall Frakes has a take. So, (laughs) on page 130... Uh, the T-1000 has been pretending to be, I think his name is Lewis, the guard at the mental institution. And he's been pretending for a while. And (laughs) Randall Frake says, the T-1000 walked forward. Because of the man's obesity, it had been stressing its ability to expand molecularly by remaining in the Lewis form. So it had defaulted back to the more energy-efficient Officer Austin. Which is like interesting little cruel do we need that <laughs> helps yeah, out a little bit cruel to janelle but lewis is getting the real 
whipping in the pros. Well, I, 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 I appreciate that he thought that through and made a point to say something about it. He probably had a conversation with James Cameron. Was like, I found an error and I fixed it, James. <laughs> <laughs> Pay the rent, guy. Yeah, it totally has two sides. It totally serves a purpose, and also it just seems like a little, a little dunky. I mean, you don't have to phrase it as because this guy was so fucking fat. Like, you can <laughs> yeah, phrase it differently. Exactly. I agree. Yeah, definitely a weird concept, and also the idea of the liquid having individual cells that all could re- all had the ability to replicate different like the the part I, I don't have the page but the part where this randall says that you could hear out of any part of his body it just happened to have human ears in this iteration like the cells are able to do any 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 other cells job pretty much right that was kind of fascinating as well i think that makes it scary like the That's part at the end where he throw like terminator throws the t-1000 face first into a wall and it just like comes through the back of its own head it just like swaps molecularly you know Mm -hmm. it's so scary to me like it's so inhuman it's so unnatural um yeah that's the stuff that freaks me out about the t-1000 totally the sequence in the movie where the t-1000 is like malfunctioning at the end is stellar it's incredible the the dan it, it was described in the book when he's like he gets all fucked up because he got frozen and then shattered. Yeah, and everything right, he right. grabbed, right, his right. hand is becoming like that thing. And he's being like, fuck, I don't want my hand to be steel. Like, whatever, you know? <laughs> I mean, he is a prototype. You know, he yeah. may have some kinks. Yeah, that was a weird wrinkle, too, that there that we were told that, like, Skynet only sent him back as a last-ditch effort and they didn't even really believe in the product. <laughs> They're like, yeah, he was just super volatile, and we we didn't really believe in this Terminator, but we want to live, so. I mean, he, he <laughs> this, gets really close. The thing about the T-1000 is it's sort of, they sort of have to keep writing around it for the rest of the movies, because it makes sense to have a robot army where it's just robots that you put skin on. That's fine. And then you make this super advanced prototype, that's fine too. But then you always have to top that. And I just don't think you can top it. And they've never really topped it. You don't have to. They always just do some version of the T-1000 as their next villain. No one has the, like, galaxy brain ability that James Cameron has to say, like, what is actually more than that? Like, his ability to say, like, okay, regular metal, liquid metal. He had that idea. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. But I mean, like, in this one instance, I do think that the leap from, like, hard-skinned robot to soft-skinned robot is, like, a cool, inventive leap. And then no one else has had the creative capability to say, like, well, what next? Probably for the best. is the next step. Gross, weird. (laughs) I think that the idea for Terminator Salvation, which, Dan, the... The third movie. We need. Should we go through the Terminator? Yeah, sequel let's for let's do that sure. for a second. So, the the first sequel is called Terminator Two: Judgment Day, and in it, <laughs> oh yeah, the T eight. No, I'm kidding. Um, the the next one is Rise of the Machines, as you correctly guessed in the future, because that hasn't happened yet. Um, and it's very much like a rehash of Terminator Two. In the sense that oh, yeah. John Connor's just older. He's like an adult man. He's dating Claire Danes. And no, he's not dating Claire Danes. Yeah, he's not dating her initially. They're destined to get married and fall in love, but he is 
He's a shit show. So after he he, say after he and Sarah save the world, he's like, I have no purpose in life anymore, and he totally falls. And she dies of cancer. Sarah Connor dies of cancer. Oh my god. Yeah, it sucks. She didn't want to do it, but guess what? Doctor Silverman's back. (laughs) Doctor Silverman's in three. So, but yeah, basically, I haven't watched three since I was like a kid. But uh, that's a great point uh, that John basically gets the Sarah treatment in three. He gets like he's a totally different dude. Yeah, at the top of the third movie, we find out that John Connor is killed in the future, and his wife, who is Claire Danes in the past, sends back the Terminator that killed him to be his she, Yeah, reprogrammed Terminator it. 2 again. They're basically like, we only prevented Judgment Day. It's still going to happen. My fa- There's two things in T3 that I really, really, really like. The first is that Skynet realizes that John Connor has an emotional connection to the Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator and sends one of those to kill him. And John Connor has enough of a moment to go, oh my God, it's my dad, that then the Terminator is able to kill him in the future, which I think is really good. That's cool. That's good yeah. stuff, right? And also T3, the end of T3, they go to the the like pit in Denver where Skynet lives and they're gonna blow it up and destroy it. And they are not able to. There's no way to do that. Skynet blows up the entire world. But John and his wife are like in this bunker. So they're safe. And the whole movie was just like, you can't actually avoid the apocalypse. All that matters is keeping you safe because you actually do have to then save the world later. Which is a, oh, a total the reversal. is a lady. She's a lady. She got boobs that she can make bigger. You're making it sound cool, actually. That sounds good. I wish good. it was cool. But the thing that's really limp about Terminator 3 is that it like opens with a monologue, I think, from John, where he just has to do like the Terminator version of Somehow Palpatine Has Returned, where he's basically <laughs> like, so anyway, we prevented Judgment Day in Terminator 2, but I don't know. It's coming anyway. And it's like, all right, well, that's that sucks. I mean, and the, the female Terminator, up, who, you know, nine year old me was extremely horny for. Um, <laughs> she has way less personality than Arnie or the T1000. She's a slab of stone. That's impressive. She's got nothing going on. She's, they don't give her any personality, anything at all. Okay, so let's keep moving. Terminator 4. I just want to say that in the last thought on Terminator 3. Oh, uh, two things. One, the Terminator gets his clothes from a gay stripper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but two, when they go to Sarah Connor's tomb to, like, for some reason, they take out her casket and it's just full of guns. <laughs> just full of guns. And they're like, Mom always knew we'd need these guns. I love the concept that Sarah Connor in her will was, like, very important. Cremate me, fill my coffin with guns, don't tell my son. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone actually remember the plot of four? Yes. Because I saw Salvation multiple times because I liked it. In the future. This one takes, so place, in the takes future. place in the future. It is a sequel to the third movie. It is. There is a man. Yep. Now I'm realizing, do I remember the plot? <laughs> I, I think I've got it. I remember, I remember major things that happened in it, but like, what? what is the A to B? I don't know. I I'm think realizing. I could do it if you want to jump in at certain points. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dan, to start, this is the movie where Christian Bale yelled at the lighting designer. <laughs> no way. Fa- yeah. Yeah. Th- yeah. That's this film? This- so every t- so Christian what Bale... What is Christian Bale doing in The Terminator? 
Christian Bale plays John, John Connor. Connor. Which so I think it's fine. It's in the future. Oh, that's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. Christian Bale is not yet the big leader. He like knows he's meant to be the leader. He's with the woman he was with. But he's now played by I want to say Jessica Chastain or Bryce Dallas Howard. It's Bryce Dallas Howard. But like everyone's like, you're not. You suck. You're not the leader. We're gonna listen to other people. But he also knows he has to find his father because like, well, I know my dad exists and I need to like save him. But the sort of the main character of the movie is. Sam Worthington, a very Jai Courtney-esque human, like gave himself up for scientific research, and he's then half man, half Terminator. Terminator. Yeah, he's half man, half Terminator. If I'm remembering correctly, oh he doesn't God. know he is a Terminator for he most of the movie. He doesn't know it until about halfway through the movie, but he's a good guy. Yeah. Elena Bonham Carter tells him via Skype. So, like, as I re- like as I vaguely recall, he's a guy out in the world doing future rebel stuff. He meets Kyle Reese, who's like a little street urchin, Anton Yelkin, and is like, oh, we're all supposed to be looking out for Kyle Reese. I'm going to grab this kid and take him to John Connor. Is that right? I have more to say about this book, so let's rush through five and six. <laughs> okay, we and we will because they're not good. But like, I think Sam Worthington like, gets shot a bunch, and they're like, oh, you're a robot. And he's like, what does this mean about me? And John is like, I don't trust you. You're a fucking robot. Get out of my town. Which is funny because he's trusted many robots. Indeed. Um, in the end, they go to fight Skynet. He fights with Arnold, who's mostly a computer. Due yeah, to this is the only one where Arnold does not actually appear. Yeah, they himself. very quickly blow the face off that Terminator, so it's just a robot. Because at least in Terminator 3, he still looks good enough. It was right before he became governor, where he kind of still looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, Terminator 5, Genesis. <laughs> the one? The concept uh, begins, of Genesis. <laughs> begins with the beginning of this book, where... They destroy Skynet, and John Connor's like, all right, I got to send back Kyle Reese. Come on, naked through this crowd. You're going to go back in time. But as he goes back in time, somebody in their ranks, like, kills John Connor, apparently. And you're like, oh, no, what happened? And we get thrown into sort of an alternate timeline because we go back to Kyle Reese in the first movie. I know. It's exhausting to even hear about, right? Now the T-1000, who doesn't look like the T-1000, is chasing after him. But Sarah Connor is there with an old man Terminator. And we find out that when she was a little girl, another Terminator was sent back to kill her when she was a child. And that uh, and a good Terminator helped her and has been raising her ever since. So she's so like survivalist meet... Sarah Connor, but like in From T1. The start. Yeah. And now Kyle yeah, is like, wait, now I'm the damsel? And it's like, honey, yeah. you are always the damsel. And she does not want to be with him. She's like, this guy's gross. I don't want to have to conceive a child with him. Yeah, but she knows uh, she's supposed to. So at some point during this, they go to the future. They're sent to the future. Oh, the God. Who's good. God. Just waits for them. And they go to the year oh, 2019 God. or something. And we meet John Connor. But it turns out John Connor is now a Terminator. He's been replaced. Do you remember they gave that... Uh, d- do you remember they gave that twist away in a trailer? Mm-hmm. That was yes. wild. Yeah. Um, it's bad. Can I take Dark Fate? And then Fate? Terminator, you may. I yeah, can, do, can Dark do Dark Fate. Fate. Dark Fate's got some good elements. It's like the closest thing we have to a good Terminator 3 IMHO. Um, it's also the only one that Cameron has had any sort right, of like Right, he like was involved, but, since too. but didn't direct. So anyway, the Dark Fate has one kind of cool concept that it's working with, which is that... First of all, why wouldn't they just keep sending Terminators? I always wondered that. 
It's like, yeah. they can just do it forever. Dan, you said it earlier. And they do. Dark Fate begins with a flashback yeah. where Edward Furlong from Terminator 2, they like irishman him so he looks young again. And Arnold Schwarzenegger just walks up and shoots him in the fucking chest. And they're like, great. Can I tell a quick story about Dark Fate? It looks good. About yeah. this exact moment. Go ahead, Hannah. One, it does look good. It looks like tiny baby Edward Furlong. So I went to go see Maleficent 2, mm-hmm. and the AMC I was at started playing Dark Fate. And I sat through the first 10 minutes, which is basically this flashback, to watch baby Edward Furlong get blown the fuck away by a shotgun. <laughs> at which point I was like, A, leave him alone. B, I need to go talk to someone. I don't want to watch the rest of this movie. And I didn't see Dark God. Fate for like two years after that. <laughs> Here's the thing about Dark Fate, is that it's basically the same construction as two or three, where it's like, we sent a Terminator back to kill you. The one twist that they have that's kind of interesting is that they're like, okay, um, Terminator 2 did prevent Skynet. Yay. But then he still got killed by a Terminator? What the fuck? And it's like, okay, humanity's relationship to technology is so fraught and so inevitable that even if we stop Skynet, there's going to be... be and so they're fighting a completely different yeah. company in Terminator Dark Fate, which is kind of interesting. I would like to get us back onto the book because I do have more to say. And Another well, thing about Dark Fate, though, that I think oh, is God. worth mentioning <laughs> is that they also say it's not John Connor. It never had to be John Connor. There's always going to be someone who'll step up to save humanity. And in this case, it's this woman. Right. Who has to be saved by Mackenzie Davis. Very hot. And also, yeah. what if Kyle Reese was a hot lesbian Terminator who was confident? It's like T1, but with all these fun yeah. little colorations on it. <laughs> uh, and lesbian, that's that's Hannah's interpretation. <laughs> I think it's justified by the film. Yeah. It's also, Dan, the first one that brings Lynn Hamilton back in a sort of like Han Solo Force Awakens role where she's She's like, like a lead in that movie. It's true. Okay. She's so, very cool. Uh, well, here's what I'll say. old Arnold as like a Terminator who's like, I just decided to be a nice human man. I got abandoned in the past, so this is what I do now. Dan, definitely do talk because we've just been talking at you for so long. <laughs> Here, here's, sorry, sorry. here's what I'll say as a recap of all that. I don't even after reading the second book, I don't even know. Like, I wouldn't have been able to figure out how to make new Terminators be, ex, unless I was using the send another Terminator back. Oh, we forgot there was another one sent back because it ends kind of. In this way where Skynet, a Dark Fate one, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like maybe like humanity inevitably will figure out this technology and mm-hmm. send something back. And why is John Connor the one who it's going to be someone else who can potentially save the world and, and play that role of like the Messiah kind of thing. Like, but the, yeah, book two ended pretty well. I thought that there isn't a need for four more iterations. I totally agree. And, and this thing that got us onto describing four movies to you was... I was going to say that the idea for Terminator 4, which is the one where John Connor is like fighting in the future war, I think is a good concept for a sequel. It's like totally change it up. Make it about a different aspect of this fictional world. They just, in from my recollection, they didn't totally stick the landing on that. Now, um, John Connor is not the lead of that movie, which is the problem. What did we forget? We forgot about the TV show. Okay, I can't do this. (laughs) I can't do this. No, and you talked about Ken Quapis for 35 minutes. You could do six seconds on Terminator. The okay, Sarah you Connor get Chronicles. like a minute. What is Go. this? Okay, there's a Are TV there novels show for called... all these? I don't know. I bet. There's a TV show. I barely watched it. That's about Sarah and John a couple years ahead after Terminator Judgment Day. 
And people just – it's like a Terminator of the week. Like every week they send a Terminator back. Oh, I like that. And their Terminator friend is Summer Glau from Firefly. That's all I know. I hear it's good and people like cute. it. Yeah. But I never watched it. I want to jump back into the book so badly. <laughs> fine. Okay. Fine. So – I want to watch Terminator Salvation. We forgot about the Terminator musical. (laughs) I need to just rag on Randall Frakes a little bit. I'm here to defend. Defense attorney style. Rebuttal. So sometimes his dialogue falls flat and feels like it's coming out of the mouth of the wrong character. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, is the gender issue line in the movie? I don't believe it is. No. Okay. I thought this no. was exceptionally This is poor. during the Miles yes. So, it, oh, yeah. for the listener, uh, when uh, Sarah confronts Miles Dyson, she goes on this rant. So good. Right? Which Hannah mentioned earlier, where she's basically blaming everything on men. And she's saying, like, uh, all your fucking ideas and all your weapons. Did you know that every gun in the world is named after a man? Colt, Browning, Smith... Thompson, Kalishnikov, men build the hydrogen bomb, not women. Men like you thought it up, and it goes on and on. I actually thought that was a really cool bit of writing. But then, John, the child, (laughs) goes, it goes, John touched her trembling hand and said, Mom, Mom, we need to be more constructive here. I don't see this as a gender-related issue. Is he a corporate manager? We need to be more he's constructive a here. Little boy. But no, read I the next line. Uh, okay, he turned to he the turned to the the Dysons. She's still a little tense. Then he turned back I to can... Sarah. We still have to figure God. out how to stop it all from happening, right? So demeaning. I can so I imagine Edward Frakes, Furlong though. saying those lines, though. Like I can picture it in my head. <laughs> and I think what he says in the movie is basically like, "You need to calm down. We need to be more constructive," and that's it. Yeah. But like I I don't know, man, it works for me. Brutal. I could buy it. He's a smart little kid. I, I I would not be surprised if we looked at the shooting script and those lines were in there because James Cameron's scripts are so sort of utilitarian and like written with so many words that people would never say in a sentence that I don't want to blame that all on our, our good man uh, friend Rand. Randy. Randall. <laughs> okay, well I've got another thing to blame on him. <laughs> <laughs> in the final, like, invented chapter of the book, where we are in... That's a deleted scene. Fine. That is but in... this little bit of prose is not from the deleted scene, I promise you. So in this, like, Back to the Future 1 ending, where we see, like, the improved future, where everything's nice and George McFly's an author, um, the, Sarah is talking about how John didn't have to become, like, a, a, a war guy... Because the war never happened. And she goes, Sarah smiled at him with a mother's pride, of course, and smoke into a small digital recorder. John fights the war differently than it was foretold. Here, on the battlefield of the Senate, the weapons are common sense (laughs) and hope. I mean, that's... Yeah, weird choice. That might be in the deleted scene. I'm not sure that's any I mean, cheesier it, than like all the other shit Sarah Connor says into that. As recorder. I remember this deleted scene, it begins with her saying, "You know, August 29th, 1997 was just a normal day. Michael Jackson turned 46." Like, <laughs> like, that that is an actual. No, line. it is. It's 40, like, but yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Like, it's just like, I'm sh- I could see Jimmy putting that in there. I just yeah. like how the Senate thing is introduced, and which was a little bit confusing. Where on page 237, Randall writes, People of modest income lived in these tall skyscrapers thanks to several new government bills recently passed by a brash young senator. The apartments were not handouts. The occupants had to work for them, but the price was adjusted. And then you find out that John is the senator. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> tie it up, baby. He's a I don't know. I don't know if strange. John Connor could get elected to the Senate <laughs> with all his... Yeah. What do you, like? Look at his like ten year old background. That would be in every attack. Yeah, it'd be ad. like, what did you do from ages zero to ten? This boy stole money from a credit card. He blew up a factory. I have to assume yeah. that they just don't get caught for any of that, and then he gets to go to school or whatever. And kids like, <laughs> what did you do last summer? And he was like, just hung out, murdered. <laughs> yeah, do you think he? Do you think he goes to normal school after this? Does he hang out with his buddy Tim? I hope so. I, I, I thought that they just would go down to Mexico with that, um, that those friends. Enrique? Yeah. I, the I love Enrique. Names. I want to see more of Enrique. <laughs> so friendly. At this point, I'm just doing a hit piece, but I got another one. Um, you are just, you're just picking stuff that's fine and being mean about it. Yeah. Okay. Something about this really just didn't work for me. And I mean, like, uh, Hannah, you and I obviously, um, <laughs> despite having like an incredible rapport that's super rewarding to listen to. Uh, for our for our fans, um, we obviously have like very polarized tastes in novelizations because I feel like more often than not we end up just having opposite opinions on these, which is fine. It's what makes our friendship fun. Authorized pod. Authorized pod. Exactly. It's like a it's like a hopefully a years long uh, rivalry. Exactly. Um, okay, so on page one ninety seven, just another thing that rubbed me the wrong way. The chapter called "The Dance of Fate" starts with. Sarah's watching the pavement rush by, lit by headlights. Beyond, there was darkness, swallowing the horizon. She was thinking that the future, always so clear to her, had become like a black highway at night. Which reminded me of when I tried to get into Dexter, a show that people say is good but isn't. And in the first season, there was like a scene where he, you know, because he has all these VO monologues where he's like, I was it, it was a dark night and like my life is like a dark night. But there was literally one where he like was in a donut shop and there was an empty box of donuts and he was like, My heart is like an empty box of donuts and I was like, Fuck this <laughs> I'm sorry you couldn't get on board with the tone of Dexter. I could not. I could not. And and the and her looking at a black highway and being like, The future's like that, that wasn't for me. May I counterpoint? Yes. Yeah, it's also kind of like the final image of the movie. So like, chill out. Um, I think my counterpoint is like when they go to melt Mr. Terminator and Sarah asks him, are you afraid? He says, yes. He said, not because he was going to cease functioning as a Terminator, but because he had sensed a vision beyond his programming of a cosmic order vast beyond even Skynet's comprehension, and it gave him his sense, the sense of his first feeling, fear of where he was going Ugh. next, if anywhere. Like, that's good that's shit, good. man. Ugh. That's good. And The like, first human emotion you feel is fear? Ooh. Yeah. And also, like, love that you can't totally understand. Yeah. Like, those things are yeah. so... And also, like, literally it makes his, like, thumbs up kind of charming <laughs> instead of, like, the silliest thing I've ever right, seen. Right, 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 right. I only <laughs> think it's... I only think it's chilly... Be- silly because I'm like wouldn't he have already like stopped working at that point 
it is like just he's like fully engulfed in lava. The moment in like for me, the movie is like so emotionally successful that by the time they're melting him, I'm like so sad. And so for him to be yeah. like, <laughs> it's like very funny yeah. every single time. It kind of takes me out of that emotional moment. And the way it's written in the book is like, you know, a final thumbs nice. up, and then it was really gone. It's nice. Yeah. It feels sweet instead of like goofy. No, and I, I agree think that's with you. a major success. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. Dan, you go. Well, oh, I'm curious about, I mean, I guess this is like a, a, like a, a different, a broader question, but on the cover, it says it's based on the screenplay. So I'm wondering if they gave them the original screenplay and said, adapt the novel off the screenplay versus the, the film. I mean, maybe this is a that often really happens. Answered. Yeah. It's, is that a common practice yes. where you, they'll, they'll use a screenplay and so it'll be, is that, are they doing that intentionally? So it's a little bit different from. The film, so you. I think it just so they can have it out exactly. by the time the movie comes out. I guess it operates like the as amount an outline of time it takes too, to right? make the movie and write the novel. That there's a certain point where it's like we changed stuff for the movie, but you've already written the book and it's gone to press. It just so. sounds conf- it's so confusing in a way. It's like that doesn't seem like the right way to do it. I guess. Right. Well, you, you know what I mean. You'll be thrilled to learn that the <laughs> Mean Girls novelization was written like 12 years after the film came out. So there we go. there's very few discrepancies. Um, I, since I've bagged on this guy so much, I do have something I really liked. Another passage that was really good, which is in the movie, the when they uh, destroy or like free the T-800, right? They like make him so that he can learn. The book actually puts a passage in, which is like his process of learning, which I thought was really cool, which is when they're like trying to steal a car. Um, the Terminator just punches through a window and they get in the car and John like finds a pair or not a pair, but like a set of, of hidden keys, like in the, in the visor. And the book says, um, Terminator said nothing, but internally he was doing something he had never done before. In the past, he had cross-referenced new data, finding a contextual meaning and filling it in memory. But this was a subtle difference. Terminator was only dimly aware of the difference, but the location of the keys, the human motivation to hide an extra set there, and the undermeanings of that motivation created an almost organic melding of these knowledges into an expanded awareness unlike any recording of new data he had previously experienced in his short life. He reran the data back and forth, analyzing it with a small part of his brain, while the other tended to driving the truck. It's like, instead of just observing and recording, he's like combining things and creating knowledge and i i thought that that characterization of knowledge as something you like synthesize is really good yeah that knowledge also <laughs> isn't a, it also isn't really original either it's not like you're figuring out original facts you're taking two things and amalgam you know amalgamating them or amalgamizing them and and that becomes new new knowledge yeah That's, like that is an interesting idea this book captures his learning process too like i do think dan maybe you can speak to this up but like i do feel like he gets more human you can feel him like learning how to be human through the course of the book so that by the time at the end where he like says like i'll be back and smiles and the book's like he did it right that time you're like hell yeah he did he's a human being All of that's really good. Yeah, no, uh, and I also enjoyed the reverse scene, which was the scene where they 
realize that they can change. Well, the Terminator quickly brings up the fact that you can. There's an auto setting that you can change on his hard drive chip, which was really also very quickly, um, quick occurred really quickly. Um, and they take a knife, I guess, to Arnold Schwarzenegger's head and cut it open and take out the chip. And he goes dark for a second. And there's this conversation about like we 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 might need to end this guy because he is programmed a certain mm-hmm. way and if he's programmed the wrong way he's gonna fuck us and so um yeah that that and that moment where they put the chip back in and they change the setting and he turns on his eyes and he's like oh wow like anything happened while in that inter- interim and he knows that there was some more time elapsed than should have been right and they say nope you know we're okay that was I, that, that gave me a little bit of a spine chill when i read that i was like "Ooh, yeah. am i remembering nice job, that that's a deleted scene no it is oh really i hope i assumed it was in the movie but i guess i just haven't watched no i think the theatrical resetting of the cpu is only in the extended cut and i accidentally watched the regular cut and there's a line of adr where they're like john connor asks hey can you learn and then they stay on john's face and arnold schwarzenegger says off camera yes i'm programmed to learn the more i spend time with humans something like that like they just gloss over it completely um, like oh man, that's a shame. It's actually yeah, the I, I the complete opposite of what's true. <laughs> yeah, I'm programmed and because, to learn, and it also cuts out the theatrical cut. Doesn't have any of the like learn to smile stuff, which I think oh, is like that's... so key to like John and Terminator's relationship. Yeah. And it's a good. I mean, Arnold is funny in Terminator too. He is really. I good. think the line where he says. Where he's like, I'm a Terminator, like, I kill people, is just, like, so funny. He, like... His dry delivery. Yeah, he's, yeah. When Sarah's like, oh, better to kill people with, right? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> so good. I love him. I think Arnold is, like, such a gift and a treasure. And, like, nothing can capture his, like, wonderful, <laughs> um, like, energy. Like, I think the book is great, and it does a really good job. And the Mr. Terminator is, like, a very rich character that we all like. But that extra touch of Arnold is just like, this is why it's a movie. No, I think I need to see the film because that was something I was thinking in my head was like, how does he make, from an acting standpoint, how does he make that transition from the first one where he's indifferent and cool and robot-like to doing that kind of emotional... You gotta watch Plunging the emotional depths. His acting when he is turned off is very funny. (laughs) Oh, it's amazing. His his dumb face is so great. He should yeah, teach his son-in-law Chris wait. Pratt a few things. Um, Hannah, could I um, could I? Would you entertain a hypothetical for me? Sure. Da, 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 okay. So bum, imagine bum. that you were. That's what I was trying to do in the opening. <laughs> imagine that you were raised by a survivalist mother, uh-huh. who puts immense pressure on you as the savior of civilization. <laughs> she raises you to believe that someday you will be called upon to recommend a book to the entire human race. Would you recommend Terminator 2 Judgment Day by Randall Frakes? Yes, I think I've made it pretty clear that I would recommend it. I would recommend it to anybody who likes Terminator. I would recommend it to anybody who's never seen a Terminator. It holds up, apparently, Mm -hmm. which is good to know. It does. (laughs) Uh, I think it's really well written. It's like a nice novel on its own two feet. So yeah, I'd recommend it. Wonderful. I wish it had pictures in the middle, but you can't have everything. Yeah, I miss seeing Arnold naked in the book. Yeah, the, really? the it seems like the type of movie that should have had pictures in the novelization. 
Like, I think it'd be fun to have pictures of, like, the liquid metal man. There's Edward Furlong on his bike. Like, you kind of want to see some of that stuff. Or pictures of Randall, honestly. That would be, that would be cool, too. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, there is... Family photos. Just eight <laughs> photos no, of Randall. There's no author photo. Not acceptable. Yeah, who is this demon man? <laughs> Andrew Marco, you are a trucker, a long-haul trucker, who is... Who once enjoyed recommending books to his wife. However, <laughs> increasingly, you find yourself fantasizing about recommending books to your wife's sister. Would you recommend this book to your wife's sister? I don't enjoy this hypo- hypothetical, but I would recommend this book. I love this franchise. Uh, I especially love these first two movies, and the second one is great. And I think, as Hannah mentioned, and we've sort of talked about throughout this, this is just a great example of a novelization novelization that just sort of adds to the universe, gives us some more juicy tidbits, but also, you know, has weird prose. I, I don't want a novelization that just has sentences that describe action. I like that it gets a little weird, and there's that stuff that we all sort of have different opinions on. Yeah. I think that sort of makes it a fun novelization. So read it, people. Go find it and read it. It is interesting because it begs the question of like, what do you want out of a novelization? Like, are you looking for a completely different experience? Are you looking for something that is mimicry? Are you looking like that? That was I was thinking about that too because obviously not seeing the film, it's like, what am I looking for while reading this book? I want to just be entertained and have a good story that makes sense with the Terminator in context. Um, so that was, I, I, I think that's interesting question. Like your point about how it kind of offered what you wanted out of it, like. I, that makes sense to me. I think it. I think it does succeed in that way. It's it's a really interesting question, and like it's one that we kind of are struggling with constantly. Because when we read something that is just totally stringently exactly like the movie, it's kind of no fun. I mean, unless, no, yeah, unless the not. prose is incredible, but also we've read novelizations, one specifically <laughs> that had almost zero resemblance to the film. That being yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I was the only one who liked great, it. Great expectations, uh, I want to say. Great expectations. Right? I didn't read that one. But. Great expectations uh, was had the same bones, I would say, and a lot of the same okay. movements, but had this weird obsession with changing every specific. Great expectations <laughs> would be like okay. in the movie would be like, uh, oh my god, this is a beautiful house in New Jersey, and in the book it would be like Maryland. And you'd be like, why? <laughs> Why did it do oh, this? Really? I've never seen that. I never seen that film. I I, I just love Miss Havisham though. Well, you be would be shocked to learn character. that she was renamed in the movie to something completely different <laughs> for no reason. Terminator Two. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, Dan. Anyways, I'm sorry. Andrew, no, your you, your apology is not accepted as it was not necessary. Um, Dan Quan Peoples. Yes. You are the manager of a Radio Shack. <laughs> You place an ad in your window saying, new Dell computers, great deal, come on in. Sarah Connor marches in and says that she will blow up your entire Radio Shack unless you recommend a book to her, to her face, right then and there. Would you recommend the book Terminator 2 Judgment Day by Randall Frakes? I, I would, I would, uh, especially if I was working at a Radio Shack in 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems like a, and also selling Dell computers uh, seems like there's not much going on in my life. Um, and so I would probably give the book to 
Sarah, and I think she would enjoy it. I, I would be more interested if we could do a little barter with Sarah where she gives me the tapes that she recorded for her son and I give her the book. See, because I want to I wanna know what happens to those tapes. Also, it was kind of weird that she was just recording those tapes at the end of Terminator, and that was just uh, that was just like a um, tool that they use, and there's not really much payoff. And at the end of Terminator um, 2, in the book, she has averted the future, and she's like still making and still tapes. Is, yeah, and yeah, she, she calls it the it. book. She's like diarying. It, yeah, it turns out I just really like journaling. Did she take <laughs> them with her, like throughout that entire saga to mexico and like that that yeah i mean there's a point where the t-1000 tears open john's room and finds all the tapes and then it's like fuck these so i assume that they lose the first set of tapes (laughs) yes a shame andrew overby hi anna you are a robot sent from the future to protect a boy you learn to love, you learn to grow, you learn to be a human being with a heart and soul. The boy who you love asks you to recommend a book to him. Would you recommend Terminator 2, Colin Judgment Day, blah, blah. I would recommend this book. Shockingly, after all of my <laughs> attacks on Randall Frakes, I stand by my belief that Randall Frakes writes a lot of prose in a very clumsy way. I, as opposed to disliking his writing, was just very confused by it because as I highlighted, he also oscillates to doing like really magnificent prose, but then will like go back to like something that I would find embarrassing if like I wrote it. I don't know. It was very confusing. The structure of the book, the editor should be like blackballed from the industry. I know that's not Randall's fault, but the content of the book, the liberties he takes with the story, and just those small moments, you know, the Terminator feeling what it is to learn for the first time, that sort of thing. If somebody loved Terminator and Terminator 2, I would recommend this book to them. Con- consensus. I mean, quite a twist, don't you think? After everything I said? You did it. I love this. Well, on an ending note, I love the dedication in the book. For I was just looking at that. Dan, do you want to go ahead and read it? For William Wisher. They don't make friends like him anymore. I like the idea that all three of these guys were friends. Yes, it's so nice. Do we we think that Randall Fisher was like a groomsman at any of James Cameron's five ways? (laughs) Pretty insulting if he wasn't. I hope to the one to Linda Hamilton. Not Gail Ann Hurd? I don't know. I'm just saying, if you're going to write the book of T2, you yep. should be at the this T2 wedding. Mm-hmm. That's all. Dan Quan Peoples, you participate in and are, in fact, the host of a hilarious podcast called Exit Interview. Could you give us the, and yes, I am making a pun. I would love to. Elevator um, pitch for that I host podcast. a podcast. It's called Exit Interview. The basic premise is it's an improv radio play, so everything's completely improvised. Uh, and there are sound effects attached on, so it sounds like a radio play. And yeah, the premise is that uh, every person who dies has to go up into an elevator podcast studio where they will be interviewed, given an exit interview by God and the devil, who decide where they go, up to heaven, down to hell. We've had some reincarnations as animals, uh, inanimate objects. So yeah, that's the, that's the pod, and uh, we got a good time doing it. And uh, my co-host is John Goodman, who was also 
former guest on this podcast. Two-time For- former guest. So uh, Two-time former yeah, guest. Go check us out. Um, or don't, you know. I mean, check out this podcast as well. This is a great podcast, and I've had a good time. Definitely. If you haven't heard Authorized, and you just hear a stray clip coming out of someone's speaker on... On the I ninety five, yeah, you should you should listen to a full episode. We require our guests to do so much homework to be on an episode. Please listen to Authorized for the love of God. Please listen to Authorized. Um, we are, of course, the Authorized Podcast. Please rate us. Please review us favorably. Please subscribe to our show and please tell your friends. We'd appreciate all those things. We love our current fans, but we're greedy. So. <laughs> Um, I did finally, I think we're on like our 17th novelization. I do think I finally figured out the end to the show. And so oh, yeah. here we go. Is everyone ready? Just a little yes. something yeah. I wrote uh, to, to close us out. And so we beat on boats against the current, <laughs> born back ceaselessly <laughs> into the past. Good night, everyone. So, Dan Peoples, you, uh, as mentioned in the episode, have not seen a Terminator film before you were asked to do this podcast, correct? No, I've, I I never watched the Terminator or any of the spinoff Terminator. I don't even know if that's the right phrase. Uh, and so, well, the spinoff Terminators are exactly what I want to talk to you about. So, oh God. you are unaware and have not witnessed Terminators 3 through 6. No, I've never okay. even, I don't even know what they are. I... I'm counting six? on it. Are we really a six? There are six. <clears throat> uh, I, a lot of water in that well. Yeah, there's really a lot of creative ideas in the last four, for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not at all super repetitive. Uh, Dan, I want to just subject you to a quick quiz where <laughs> I send two options in the chat and yeah. you tell me which is the name of a Terminator film. Yeah, yeah okay, cool. <laughs> I'm going to use high logic and like very, very strategic thinking to figure this one out. I think you'll need to. So here you go. And Dan, if you could read these aloud for the listener as well. So the first one is in the chat. Which of these is the name of a Terminator film? I'm, gl- I'm glad you didn't drop the colon. It's Terminator 3 colon Rise of the Machines. And that's option A. Option B is Terminator 3 colon the machines, exclamation point. The Horizon, exclamation point. A nail biter. Which makes me think, uh, does it turn into like a comedy series or something? Or does it turn into like some kind of puppet show? The machines, the Horizon. <laughs> uh, I got to go with A. That sounds more logical. If it's B, I'm, 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 uh, I got to watch it tonight. I don't know. That's, that's ridiculous. Congratulations. You're on a one streak. There we go. That's high logic. Yep, that's great. Um, you're showing great promise. All right, Dan. Which right. of these two t- titles is the title of a Terminator film? Terminator, Salivation. Terminator, Salvation. 
Very, very slight difference there. Yes. There's, a, there's a, an extra letter in one of those. I'm not going to say which one. Um, I wasn't salivating at all when reading this book mm-hmm. or watching the first movie, except when Schwarzenegger came on for the first time. I was like, God damn, that guy is... I get it. I get it now. But He's um, diced. He's it's in, objectively it's diced. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, so I'm going to go with Salvation because eh, it sounds like there's a possibility for salvation in the series down the line, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm afraid what that means. <laughs> the, the salvation of the series is not found in the film Terminator Salvation. I can tell you that. I want to take umbrage with the fact that there's no colon in the title Terminator Salvation. Marco, I want to take your umbrage and do what was done to Professor Umbridge to you. Have me stolen by centaurs and taken away into the Forbidden Forest? That's exactly what I'm That's actually the, That's to, the yes. name of Terminator 5, actually. <laughs> yes! Damn it, he's ahead of us. <laughs> All right, Dan, just two to go. So far, you're two and oh. <laughs> Terminator. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to spell out the second one. All right, the first you, one is... You, you really ought to. <laughs> the first one's Terminator Dark Fate. The second one is Terminator DRK space F8, which, you know, if it was made in like 2018 where they were trying to come out with movies that had like text lingo and like, oh, mm-hmm. we're so cool, we're so relevant. come out in like Yes, it's a 2019 film. You know what? I'm just going to go with the dark horse of DRK F8. <laughs> okay. Your hope perfect streak has ended. Yes. I wish. I wasn't. I, I was using too. emotional reasoning, not not no, no more logic in that one. That's what I wanted. I wanted DRK F eight. Okay, final question, which will determine whether you get a majority of them correct or are just an average Joe. Oh God! Which of these is a real Terminator title? Okay, Terminator Genesis is option A, spelt like the Book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, option B is is Terminator Genesis, spelt like uh, like like no Genesis you've ever seen before. G E N I S Y S. What are you um, feeling? <laughs> I'm gonna go with the safer choice of option A, Terminator Genesis, like Book of Genesis. You have let everyone down. <laughs> no way! Did I really? Are you serious? The people who named the fifth Terminator movie undoubtedly were the same people who renamed the sci-fi channel S-Y-F-Y. Oh, my God. It's bad. And that's the worst one, if I may say. Oh, my God. Uh, How you feeling, Dan? I feel, like, let down and uh, disappointed in myself. Uh, Yeah, I I I got to leave now, I think. Yeah, I think it's probably time for a shower. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> shower cry shower some regret exactly for the listener at home dan looks just like miles dyson looks when he finds out he's going to fuck up the future 